0: Southern Skies. This episode of Plain Crazy Down Under is proudly brought to you by Runway by Oz Runways, the Android EFB you've been looking for from the makers of Australia's most popular electronic flight bag your free 30-day trial search RWI in the google play store or visit OzRunways.com. and by the australian new zealand edition of spotters magazine the new e-magazine showcasing high quality aircraft images from around australia and new zealand available for download each month direct to your pc or delivered straight to your ipad produced by aviation enthusiasts for aviation enthusiasts subscribe free at spottersmag.com Well, g'day, folks, and welcome back to Plane Crazy Down Under, episode 123 of Australia's Aviation Show. And it's air show time, Avalon 2015. This is the first of our coverage of the people and personalities that make up the uh, biannual Australian International Air Show at Avalon. I'm Steve Fisher, and I'm joined here in the studio by Grant McCarran. How are you, mate?
1: Hey, not bad, mate. Not bad. I've uh, had a heck of a four days. I've pulled out. I've had uh, Tuesday through Friday at the air show. I thought I could do Tuesday to Thursday, but there were so many other interviews to get i extended another day but i'm leaving saturday and sunday to the hardcore folks like uh, alan and micah who've been there every day and will be there every day oh, along with Stephen pam doing the
2: same thing there
0: you go busy times as always for team pcdu and uh, we're here in the studio but micah lee is still out there and the fireworks have just finished how are you micah
2: i'm well gentlemen i am well the fireworks did indeed just finish with the wall of fire it was spectacular and slightly hot no no actually uh we I didn't really feel the heat from uh, here. It's a bit chilly.
0: Now, Michael, Mm. uh, you must have the most famous selfie stick in Australian aviation, and it's been doing a lot of work over the past four days.
2: Well, it was mainly for myself, but uh, no, I'm surprised at how many people have seen that stick or seen photographs of that stick. I'm sort of... I think I might need to sort of tone
0: it down a little. No, no, we wouldn't have it any other way, mate. We wouldn't have it any other way.
2: Oh, I'm glad you guys think so. <laughs>
0: okay. We've had a uh, pretty busy day, a slightly different format for our uh, Avalon coverage this year. We certainly have been able to get some fantastic content for you. We're going to kick it off talking to the C-130J uh, crew from the uh, Royal Australian Air Force. They've been having some fun over there in uh, at uh, Las Vegas, there at uh, Red Flag, so they're going to tell us all about that. I was uh, lucky enough to catch up with Simon Hackett, formerly the uh, owner of Internode. And uh, we had a great conversation aboard his beautiful PC-12. He talks about the joy of flying, how he got into it, and actually his love of gliding. So, uh, that's that's uh, really a great chat there. Mike caught up with the crew from CirrusJet and uh, had a talk there to Graham Horn about that fantastic new aircraft. I caught up with the guys from Evector Aircraft. We, as always, caught up with Matt Hall and had a talk to him about his uh, recent uh, purchase of an airport, amongst other things, along with that wonderful podium finish that he had in the first round of the 2015 uh, Red Bull Air Race Series. Fantastic there, and we topped this off by a chat that I had with Andre Zimmerman from Pilatus, and uh, we were sitting there in the mock-up of the uh, very sleek-looking PC24, which is uh, due to take flight sometime later this year. So uh, guys, uh, no shortage of uh, wonderful Avalon coverage. Let's kick it
1: off. Xavier Sheriff, welcome to Playing Crazy Down Under. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries, man. Now, uh, X, as you're known. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, a lot easier.
3: Um, (laughs) Mate, you're a a loadie on the the C-130J. How'd you get to that position? Um, Well, initially I uh, was uh, in air movements, so I spent a lot of time in Darwin and Ambley uh, loading these aircraft and uh, other aircraft types, and... I learnt and, and was working with a lot of loadmasters and eventually I just thought I'd give it a crack and uh, threw the paperwork in and, and got a Guernsey, so it worked out well for me. That's the best thing I've ever done. Did you start on the J or did you start yeah. H? Yep, no, I, I, uh, I'm all J. Uh, the, the H was actually being retired um, as I came in in 2011, so uh, it was on the horizon to, to go, so they put me straight on um, J model. Uh, that's what I've uh, been on since, so I've uh, been a loadmaster now for uh, since 2011, so uh, three years. Okay. Yeah. Now the uh, the highlight has got to be that you've just come back from Red Flag, where yeah. I understand our aircraft uh, did it particularly well. Uh, what was that like for you? What what uh, kind of experiences were you getting? Well, I'm still very junior in the uh, in the, in a tactical role that the air aircraft provides. I'm uh, I haven't been exposed to that environment before, so it was it was really. Uh, it's really quite an eye-opener for me, and, and um, I, I did find it quite hard and challenging initially on the first couple of sorties. But after a while, and just listening to the other aircraft in the, in the air, and, and maintaining that situational awareness over the battle space, uh, I hope we I hope we brought something to the to the flight deck and helped help the pilots out because uh, they're, they're quite loaded up in that environment and uh, flying low level, 250 feet at two, 250 knots, avoiding uh, surface-to-air missile threats and fighters trying to come down and get us. So, but uh, a lot of the uh, a lot of the times I. I think we got away with it, which is uh, which is good to see, and uh, I hope the aircraft goes back and, and gets better in the future.
1: Well, that is always the goal, of course, to get away with it. The uh, so you're um, were you alternating between being in the on the flight deck and
3: being in the back pushing loads out, or no, so we're primarily we're employed uh, in the two paratroop doors as observers. So we uh, we conduct observation roles um, in the uh, from the three o'clock around to the nine o'clock left and right hand side. So the pilots cover the front of the aircraft, we cover the back of the aircraft visually uh, for ground threat. Um, also uh, our role in the back is to maintain um, situational awareness on the radios. So if uh, some C2 asset like the wedge tail, for instance, tells us that there's a, a pop-up threat, say a surface air missile system, that we, we record those uh that information and, and back up the pilots. To make sure they don't fly us into that um, weapon engagement zone. Okay, so you've got to have a really good idea of where the heck you are, and exactly. you know, as you yeah. were saying, yes, situational yeah. awareness is pretty critical, but yep. not just. Yeah, and you've got no moving map. You're looking out the door. No, we're, we're looking out the door. We've got a paper map with uh, our stick brute on it, which is uh, which is handy for us. I'm a, I'm a bit mandrolic in that, and uh, I tend to use chinograph pencils on the windows and and uh, have my knee board with my pen on it and stuff like that, which I don't mind. Uh, it will be good when the system uh, gets upgraded. And we can um, and we can get a moving map display down the back to give us more situational awareness where we are, but. Uh, until then, we'll, we'll work on the old ways and, and get better at it as we go. Now, we're standing next to one of the paratroop doors, so you've yep. got this thing fully opened. Are you sort of like sitting with your legs hanging out? Or? No, well, in, in flight, we have it closed and locked, and uh, there's a, a small seat inside that we sit on. Um, soon we'll be getting some crashworthy worthy uh, mission seats in the back as well for us, uh, new technology coming online, but that primarily is what we do when it's closed. When we do uh, paratrooping operations, we will open that door, um, and that's the that's the uh, vulnerable moment for the aircraft I suppose because we're not looking out we're mate, we're just trying to keep the uh, paratroopers from falling out at that point and uh, and then we uh, dispatch them as required to their designated target drop zone and, and off we go try and get out of the uh, try and get out of the area quick sticks so to do so to do your
1: uh, you know three to nine kind of looking I take it you've got a bit of a bubble window in that door
3: no, not really. It's, it's a flat window. Um, the old H models had a, a bubble uh, in the roof of the aircraft, uh, primarily to, to look for fighters coming down, but we don't have that. Um, I don't know uh, if we're going to get that or not. It's, it might may happen, but we primarily just look out the uh, the window, but it, it does have very good visibility. So we can see from about... Uh, 7 o'clock through to 9 o'clock on one side and 3 o'clock around to 5 o'clock on the other side. Obviously our 6 o'clock we can't see because there's a big ramp in the way of the aircraft. So, <laughs> Short of
1: opening that. Yeah. yeah.
3: That's why we tend to move, maneuver the aircraft uh, quite a bit. We're always moving side to side and Keeping an eye out, so no one can really sneak up on us. Hopefully, so uh, motion sickness would be a factor, I would imagine, and you just get used to that, don't you? Yeah, you, you become attuned to the, how the aircraft maneuvers, and, uh, and and you get better at it. I, I must admit, I, I was uh, I was susceptible to motion sickness initially, but once you're on the job and you're thinking about it and you're thinking there's a threat, then you, you, the mind gets taken off being sick and more onto the job. There's a few more things to worry about than yeah, uh, how is your stomach. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Okay, so how long were you over? You were based in Nellis, which is just near Vegas. Yes, so yeah, right next to Las Vegas, actually. You can see the strip from uh, and like uh, all the casinos from the end of the runway. It's uh, it's quite a sight, and uh, if, you, if you see some photos on Facebook, it's it's amazing. It's an amazing place. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, Steve uh, actually just recently flew over Las Vegas Vegas and a
3: Cessna 172, uh, but so the two of you have shared some airspace, there you go. Yeah, uh, some uh, critical airspace. Yeah. There's a few times there where the air traffic control wasn't up to standard and there was quite, quite some uh, hairy approaches, but it all works out in the end. Okay,
1: so you've got a whole lot of experience now. Uh, how are you going about disseminating that knowledge back
3: into the uh, into the operational area? So, um, myself and the other loadmasters that were there are writing uh, writing lessons learned pieces and post activity reports. and stuff that we can do to improve um, systems. Uh, my my thing would be to have recordings of um, radio chatter that we can record and and just loop at home as a bit of a homework uh, exercise for us to be able to understand it because pilots. It's ingrained in them from from basic flying training to listen to radios and, and absorb that stuff. And for us that that radio environment was a hundred times more chaotic than, than a standard approach into Melbourne or Sydney. So, yeah. and so that's something that I think would be beneficial for Low Masters to do. Just get the situational awareness. But uh, other than that, yeah, just trying to figure out um, more integration with uh, foreign countries, like the United States Air Force. Uh, we did a lot of integration with those guys. The, our main customer for paratrooping was the um, search and search and rescue uh, squadron, and uh, the, those guys. So it was really good to fly with them. Yeah, because. The,
1: uh, I imagine you could probably get a few of the ACOs from the, uh, the Wedgetail and, and groups like that
3: to uh, record some stuff for you. Yeah, make, yeah. It, make it topical. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and we do we do have that system already in place at the C one hundred and thirty J simulator at Richmond. Um, they've got um, recordings and they're, they're all set up. So we just have to access that as low masters and um, and use it to improve our skills, I suppose, and okay. get more. So, yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. It sounds like it was a heck
1: of a time. Anything else you'd like to tell us? Oh, what stays? What happens if Asia stays in Vegas? So I knew
0: that one was <laughs> yeah. coming. Up. It,
3: it had to turn up eventually. <laughs> no, no. no it was, it's a. It's a, it's a I'll put it this way, a month is a long time in Vegas and uh, I think I've worn myself out so I don't I don't think I need to go back again. So I'd like to go to Alaska one day for Red Flag maybe or um, I'd like to go to Little Rock for JRTC. There's some other tactical exercises we uh, we do as well so. Uh, so they're the places I'd like to go to in the future. I can
0: tell you all about Little Rock Air Force Base because I did my pilot's licence just about five minutes up the road from there. So. Brilliant. Hercules City it's brilliant.
3: <laughs> yeah the sky will be darkened with hercs and that's good. Um, that, that was like with, with Red Flag, it was very fighter-centric, it's focused mainly on fighter jets and air war and stuff like that and we inserted ourselves uh, quite assertively into the fight yep. and uh, and it was great having them, when they came down to help us, to help us out and give us escort. And... Okay, well X, thanks very much for coming on the show and talking to us about Red Flag. No worries,
1: thank you. Flying Officer Guns, welcome to uh, Playing Crazy Down Under. How you doing? Yeah, not too bad, mate, not too bad, it's uh, not as hot as yesterday. But, no, it's uh, not, yeah. So now that we've discussed the weather, yeah. uh, it's, it's significantly cooler here than it was uh, even on the hot days than it was when you are over at Red Flag in Nellis.
4: Yeah, yeah, it was. It was uh, actually surprisingly hot for early uh, time of year over there, yeah. uh, and uh, quite intense, which uh, kind of made it even hotter for us <laughs> outside of the weather. Even in the
1: air corner, it was running pretty hot. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So uh, you've got a command rating on the C-130J? Yes. Straight out of flight school into the Js? Yes. Okay, so the usual thing, CT4, PC9.
4: And yep. then over to the, uh, what did you fly next? To the um, King Air? No, no, you go uh, from the CD4 to the PC9, and I went straight to the J's. Wow. So, yeah, suddenly there's big a lot change. more throttles. There's a lot more asymmetrics. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. And a nicer toilet. Yeah. Well, that's not yeah, that okay. yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, there is always that.
4: Yeah. So, um, okay, how long have you been flying on command on the. I'm a command. I've only a command for about four months now, but I've been on the J for over two years. How many hours roughly? Uh, thirteen hundred. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, how'd you get selected to go to Red Flag? Uh, I'd uh, previously been working in the electronic warfare uh, area and uh, special operations within uh, the C-130J capability, uh, and then I got my command and uh, a spot opened up for uh, to go over as a tactician, so planning and organising missions, and uh, I put my hand up to go and do that uh, to be part of the exercise to get that experience. Cool. So yeah, you were you were in tactical, so you were putting everything together. Yeah. Uh, you were one of the boffins in the back room who made sure that uh, the mission worked. Yeah. Yeah, I had the fun job with no. Uh, yeah, so we're in the, the back room. You'd have a planning day the day before each uh, vol cycle or, or flown cycle, um, and uh, that lasts 12 to 14 hours, where you'd be integrating with all the players that'd be operating the next day, and coming up with a plan as to how we're going to fly it into, you know, what sort of environment that we are. Whether it's a, you know, a, a all-up war, or there's a whole bunch of different uh, things we operate in that. Okay. So. So
0: speaking of flying, everybody who uh, would be vaguely familiar with red flag would instantly think fighter jets. So obviously, you know, flying a C-130 is obviously a completely different role. Can you describe
4: from, a, from an airlifter point of view what, what red flag means? Well, red flag for us is learning how to integrate within a large force element uh, and exercise where we work with fighters, um, AWACS, tankers, um, ISR assets, troops on the ground. Um, and it's really for us to get involved in that sphere and, get, and be a part of it and be able to operate with them in, in their environment, which is a great benefit for us when we're trying to push forward with the capability of the C-130J where we're uh, doing more uh, work with uh, the special men and women of the uh, Australian and American Defence Forces. So in doing that, it's actually a huge benefit for us to be over there working with them and integrating with their systems. And I think it helps them a lot as well, seeing how we work. Uh, so, yeah, it's been good. So that's an interesting aspect. Do you find much difference between the way, say, the USAF operates in that environment to the way the, the, the RAF operates? Well, uh, to be honest, I haven't done a lot of large force element group exercises with the RAF. Anytime you do that, we tend to end up using the USAF or the Marines or whoever, whoever uh, they kind of run the show there. So I, I couldn't really give you a good answer on whether or not it's different because most of the work that we do with the RAF, uh, say the, uh, the MER, I think it's called now, is done in a small group anyway because we're, you know, moving... Uh, things from A to B, as opposed to participating in an all-up war, which is what you do when you go to a red flag. Now you mentioned about the planning. Uh, so you spend a day beforehand, uh, the day before, you spend a lot of time putting
1: that plan together. How do, how do the plans come down? Is it like, yo, guys, take this, you know, get this from here to here, or what, what's what's the kind of parameters that you get, and then how do you work it through to
4: actually rubber on the on the tarmac in that way? Okay, well, generally, there's a mission outcome that's been pre-decided that the guys going to want to try and achieve, and they'll they'll give a. a sort of a group of people there to be a commander and they'll they'll run what they plan as the mission for the next day. Like anyone going out if you want to do a NAVX or something around Australia you're planning it except they're planning it for 70 aircraft and they're working out from their perspective how they're going to integrate you within the outcomes that which they've been directed to achieve by their high command. So the whole uh, planning process is, is them deciding where they're going to use which asset, at which point uh, where airlift's going to come in, where the uh, seed's going to work, where strike's going to get involved and um, they bring that all together and try and pull in a solid plan uh, and get approval for that for the night before, so they can brief it the next day and then step and launch uh, for the, the vol the next day. So there's a lot of um,
1: integrating with multiple force assets from multiple forces. Uh, how have you
4: found that integration working? Is uh, is everyone talking the same language? Or uh... yeah, yeah. Look, uh, we are, and because we're getting more and more involved in these American exercises. Um, like Cope North, like um, the Flag, Alaska, and Flag Nellis, uh, we do really talk the same sort of language. So you, it, the integration really is starting to develop quite strongly. Um, so I, I just think it works reasonably seamlessly, and you get to learn the different uh, what the different pilots and different frames, how their personalities go, and what they actually are looking to and trying to achieve every day, because it, it can be quite different. <laughs> When you're talking about planning, obviously there's a
0: plan, but obviously, uh, particularly in that sort of environment, I guess nothing goes to plan. So how much contingency is built into your
4: planning? Well, yes, there, there is plan A, B, and then every other plan that you conceivably <laughs> think of. Uh, it is, uh, as, as you correctly suggested there, it's a very dynamic environment once you uh, once you launch for the day. So, um, yeah, it becomes quite interesting. There is Obviously, they have AWACS, uh, like we have here on demonstration, operating up there at the time. So they're still running the air war. So when things are going... Uh, left to right of centre. Um, they've got um, guys up there that are running the show and the, the mission commander from the day before is also still heavily involved in alright, okay, this isn't working, let's try this or this isn't working, let's try this. Um, and then you've got all the other things with uh, all of the comms and all that stuff which is going on which is really quite interesting. Yeah, I, I believe it was von Klorschwitz who said uh, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. Yeah, that's true, even if the enemy isn't shooting back. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, even if it's just dots on the screen. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. So, um, okay, now you uh, just through reference there to uh, Flag, Alaska, yep. uh, Elmendorf, the uh, the rather different, completely different environment to Nellis, Nellis being hot and desert, Elmendorf being typically cold and frigid. Um, how, how
4: was it when you uh, worked out at Elmendorf? Uh, Elmendorf was a really great experience, actually. Um, the thing that we don't get in Australia, uh, that the Americans do have, and it's the same, I guess, in Nellis, but is the terrain up there. And the terrain up in Alaska is quite high, very remote. And it is one of the biggest... Um, biggest sort of air exercises in the world in terms of space, so Nellis is quite constricted, whereas Elmendorf has got a heap of space uh, and we have more airlift players up there, so we still had the same integration with the with the fighters and we still had pretty much the same number of aircraft but we had more uh, airlift assets, so it actually became interesting that, trying to work with other nations because we had the Japanese and the USAF there as well and operate with them and uh, we got to operate as have our assets a few times there which was really, really good, uh, where we would be the whole mission we'd be based around us and it was quite interesting, as I was saying before. We uh, we got to drop 240 paratroopers in formation on a, on a drop zone there, which was uh, well pretty impressive. I wish I was on the ground actually to watch it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it would have been parachutes and guys going everywhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so now we spoke to X before, and uh, he was telling us about uh, the the lessons learned from the loadmaster perspective, and uh, a big one for him was uh, just the chatter on the radio. Uh, that you know pilots grow up with that. Loadmasters are something new. What were the lessons you,
4: you brought back from both um, Alaska and uh, Nellis? The major lessons that we bring back are planning and integration. Our, uh, our TTPs for how we operate, I think, are, are becoming uh, rather rather good for our low-level and uh, our nighttime work and our, and our formation work. Um, we've still got a lot of areas to develop, but the major things we're getting out of FLAG is integration and the large uh, force exercises um, that we do over there. So being able to integrate with the USAF, with the Marines, with the Army, with the uh, JASDAF, all those types and and do it as a big group and be able to operate as the load masters were saying with all those radios going at the same time so we've got six radios running at the same time that we've got a monitor and uh, only two guys up the front um, so that's where the load masters now become quite a, a valuable asset in that they can listen to the radios too and give us feedback because no matter how good we think we are we can't listen to six radios at once and be effective so yeah the major thing i get out of that is us integrating and really becoming a part of those bigger groups and in doing that getting more awareness from the command perspective of both the australian and the u.s military of how the hercules can actually operate particularly the j how effectively we can operate and it's a very effective aircraft uh, when used in the ways that it's designed for okay well anything else you'd like to tell us about um, your experiences from the two red flags well, I've been told to say that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. But I think that's already been done. Um, no, they've been they've been really, really good experiences and it's been really good for the squadron to have that opportunity. And I think it's really pushing the capability of the C-130J forward, which, uh, it's uh, as I said, it's quite an impressive. And when we've got the C, uh, C-17 moving equipment into theatre and then us able to move it around in, in more interesting places, it's a real asset for uh, defence and for Australia. And uh, it's uh, really good to see it move forward to where it actually can be. Cool. Guns, thanks very much for coming on the show.
0: Simon Hackett, we're sitting here on your wonderful PC-12 and thanks for having me aboard. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you aboard. Well, now, how long have we been planning to do this interview? I think since the last Avalon, so probably two years we've been talking about this, but... Uh, yeah, really, at least two years. Yeah, 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 yeah. so uh, really, it's, I'm glad that uh, we finally bumped into you here, but uh, I'm interested, before we go into talking about this wonderful aircraft that you're flying now, as we ask most of our guests on the show, what your journey through aviation
5: is. What is the love of aviation for you? What started yeah. it? What started aviation, or well, the love of it for me, was actually gliding um, when I was a university. University student at Adelaide Uni. Adelaide Uni is one of the universities that's left that actually still has a gliding club. So while I was a student at Adelaide Uni in the mid-80s, I went up and tried gliding out at a place called Lock Eel, a couple of hours drive north of Adelaide, um, and, and winch launched in beautiful old, old wooden and steel frame gliders, and just loved it. And I was back the next weekend to learn how to do it. Now, I've never done gliding myself, but it seems to me it's just the most pure form of flying. Yeah, it very much is. And and there's a there's a conceit that glider pilots have and I guess I will I, I will say that I'm one of those those glider pilots with the conceit that it builds stick and rudder skills in a way that's pretty hard to beat, because if you're flying a glider, there's no other excuses, there's you know, there's no autopilot, there's no engine. There's nothing but you and your understanding of the aerodynamic effects of what you are doing with an aircraft, so it's a fantastic way to have a feel of what's really going on. People who, who
0: perhaps don't know your backstory, you did very well out of the IT sector, mm-hmm. you've done well with the uh, ISP that you
5: started? Yeah, yeah, I started a company called Internode in 1991, so a, f- a few years out of university, yep. and then 20, 21 years later I sold it to a larger ISP, I was, I, was, I was fortunate to be very successful in both having that business work well and being able to, to sell it. Um, and. And yeah, and that that turned out along in, you know, in parallel with the business journey, there was a there was an aviation journey, and, and the PC twelve is just the end of a journey that's got some other steps in it.
0: Yeah. So the whole time you were doing your flying, when you were you know working back in the
5: yeah days? yeah yeah. So I so I learned to fly gliders when I was a university student, and that was a great thing to do because I had the time to do it then. You know, <laughs> university students might claim to be busy, but they haven't been to the real world yet. So I actually had my weekends available, you know, and yeah. and learned to fly gliders and loved it. And while I was then building up a business career, I had enough time available to keep the currency, right, to keep flying. And for me, flying gliders is a very meditative thing. You know, it's, it's, there is a rational analogy here between sailing and, 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 and driving a powerboat, right? If you, And it's the same thing with aviation. If you're flying a glider, you're flying it for the pleasure of the act of flying. You're not so much flying for a destination, although glider pilots get very competitive about destinations as well. Yeah. But, but you're flying for the act of flying, not flying to get to point B. In a powered aircraft, you, you know, it's a fabulous thing to do as well, but but obviously it has the undercurrent that you're doing it to get to point B from point A. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and and there's that distinction that, that's really nice. So I learnt to fly gliders. I wound up buying a motor glider. Um, after when I, when Internet started doing okay enough, I bought a, bought a lovely old motor glider. I put about four or 500 hours on the thing, loved it. Um, very low-performance motor glider, but it was a fabulous, fabulous thing. I suddenly had a freedom machine because I could go gliding without needing the gliding club to be operating. Because there's the downside of a glider without an engine. You have to be operating when the gliding club's operating. Of course, yeah. yeah. So now I had a glider with an engine, a beautiful one. Uh, but low performance. Later on again, uh, and it was doing a little bit better, and and I loved the idea of getting a getting a private pilot's license and, and buying a light aircraft. And, and when I decided that my company needed an aircraft to get from point A to point B, we were building networks in regional towns all over Australia. We needed something to get there, so I bought a Sirius SR22, a brand spanking new one in 2009. Beautiful aircraft, the Cirrus. Now oh, I've awesome. written a few of those. Yeah, they're yeah, awesome. Uh, but Steve, I also that started a tendency of mine, which is to buy an aircraft and then to learn how to fly it. So I bought a. R22 and then go to PPL. Bearing in mind, I already had a thousand hours flying gliders. And motor gliders so it took about seven hours to get a PPL because really it was just you know same stuff different environment and again that's a nice thing gliding is a very low cost way to get into aviation it's much cheaper per hour than flying a powered aircraft and so I think it's a really good entry point in the sense of, of figuring out whether you like the sensation of flying before you start piling on the gadgets
0: and that's a good message I think to get through to younger people that might be listening to this is that I guess traditionally and I know when I was young and I started to fly I did the same thing I went down to my local flying school yeah. and jumped in a
5: Cessna but yeah you know, that's something to consider perhaps if people are looking at it then gliding is a good option well it's a great option and it's a lovely way to do it you get you've got fantastic visibility and again you get to learn what flying really means you know flying in the sense the birds understand it like it's you and a stick and nothing else Um, so that was great i love the love the cirrus awesome awesome aircraft really they they are the epitome of looks good goes good Mm. and they're modern aircraft again for you know for 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 people in, in 2015 the vision of, a, of an aircraft as an attractive object is a bit harder to sell when the aircraft you're facing at the local flying school is, you know, is a clapped-out old old metal thing with lots of rivets on it and lots of these round dials. The Cirrus looks like a, you know, like a good, you get in, it's like a like a nice car. It's all leather and modern and glass cockpit, and it's a very attractive beast. Obviously not quite as cheap as the old Cessna the flying. Well, it's certainly not, and
0: probably a little bit more challenging to learn to fly, I suppose. Yeah, but, um, you know, I find that that's actually something that's, um, you know, the RAS sector is bringing in now, where yeah. some people will perhaps look down at it and say, well, they're not real aircraft. But they are real aircraft, oh, aren't they? And, and for young people coming in again, there's that whiz-bang factor, isn't there? Because the glass cockpit's predominantly.
5: Yeah, yeah, and glass. Cockpits, are, of course, are turning up in, in RAOS aircraft and turning up in a whole, you know, they're becoming a very accessible way to put avionics in aircraft. You know, a whole experimental um, suite of aircraft, That's the, it's a really great way to put avionics in. They're getting, getting relatively cheap. So there's that, there's me flying this, this Cirrus with my pilots, with my PPL. And then a few years later, I was fortunate to reach the point where in that parallel business career, I sold my business to a larger one. And I suddenly had the opportunity to go back and do the thing I'd had I'd had in the back of my mind for years, which was to go and buy one of these that we're sitting in, a PC-12. Now, About eight years earlier, I, I decided that was my bucket list aircraft, Steve.
0: Well, I think everybody that uh, is in aviation circles around this part of Australia, we're all a winner for that because we all see this aircraft and there's there's such a big wow factor about mm. it. It's not exactly a common aircraft, is it? And I mean, that's a good thing about you being successful in your business <laughs> is we've all had a chance to enjoy it. And people like our friend
5: Baz have been lucky enough to fly in it, in fact, I think you flew him over, here, didn't you? Innit? Yeah, yeah. I flew him and a few other, few other folks over to Avalon in this aircraft yesterday from Adelaide. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.
0: So, what do you normally do with this? And they obviously, I'm not sure what you're doing in your business career now, but mm. this is a private aircraft, mm. a private
5: transport, go where I want to type of thing. Yep. So it's it's the things you'd expect, is you know, business and pleasure, literally. Um, so I, I do fly it for, for pleasure in various ways. Take myself and friends and family out for holidays and trips. You know, last last week we, we zapped up to Lake Air for the day from Adelaide, and had lunch at Willing Creek and went home because we could, which is fantastic fantastic um, I do fly around for business as well I take myself to, to business meetings me and, and colleagues in various various cities around Australia quite regularly uh, of late I've started flying into Sydney into the main Sydney airport in this, in this which has been quite, a, quite an interesting experience you know, in the yeah. sense that it's you know, the biggest kind of scariest airport in Australia and, and you know it teaches you the thing I used to think Adelaide airport was like that because I never flew in and out of Adelaide airport with this thing this thing is based in Adelaide airport and now Adelaide airport feels very familiar and small and Sydney felt big and scary Third or third or fourth time you go in it's not. You know, you get used to things. You just and the answer the answer to that sort of fear is do it. You know, take someone experience with you, go do it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And do we'll it Fear is a state of mind, isn't it? Exactly. Just and just, it. just
5: go do it again, you know, and, and it's worth it.
0: So, Simon, you had this aircraft built
5: for you, I believe, is that right? You... Well, it was, I bought it new, yeah. So it was built with my spec new, yeah. So can
0: you take us through the buying process? Because I believe you went over and actually flew it back to
5: Australia, is that I right? I did, yeah, yeah. yeah, I did. So so you buy them, you know, you buy them off a of brochure. Yeah. I designed the the, the the colour scheme for the outside of this aircraft, Pick the option set I wanted for it. That sort of thing. So very much the aircraft I wanted. We're sitting in these lovely, um, lovely sheepskin seats. There's actually my wife's idea. There's lovely, lovely sheepskin covers on the seats, which I don't think Pilatus had done much of before. They're in the, the sheepskin covers are on the, in the cockpit, and, and she looked at that and said, "Well, why don't the passengers get that?" So, so you know, there's a few nice tweaks in here. These, these just these little magazine holders in the side were her idea. I've whacked lots of electronics in it. So the, because I'm a pilot, I've got the cockpit audio wired into, into both four headset jacks in these front four seats and into the the standard intercom in general, so if people are interested to hear what's going on, they can hear about it. No, oh, this is definitely a plane I have to ride on one oh, day. Oh, yeah, it's good fun. <laughs> so I did all that. Um, Pilatus managed to, to rejig the, the production slots a bit, and I got my brand-spanking-new aircraft three months after I ordered it, which was much faster than I expected, and so when I got the phone call about that, I thought, ah. Oh, oh, I'd better learn to fly one then. Yeah. So I, I organised to do a training course with the Pilatus organised in Adelaide on another PC-12, learned, learned to fly it. Learning to fly this, I transitioned up from the Cirrus to this and, um, you know, nothing in between. Actually, a very, very sensible transition path because this aircraft is actually has, in, in the circuit, has a very similar speed range to a Cirrus. It's really not a scary thing to fly in that sense. You hang the flaps out, you come, come over the fence in, in the low 80s. Wow, you know, really it really is very easy to handle. So, did a training course, two-week training course, a week of ground school, a week of flying one. Then I flew to Switzerland with my instructor, and we literally, you know, found this thing, this thing waiting for us in Stans in Switzerland. Had a little handover ceremony, uh, kicked the tires, and flew it home. Uh, and it's. A testament to how well Pilatus built aircraft, that I I took a brand spanking new aircraft in Switzerland and flew it over nine international legs for two two more rest days, and the number of unexpected red lights that went on was zero. Well, there you go. It just works. It's the Swiss engineering thing. These aircraft are expensive. And there's nothing better in terms of build quality. These things are just so well put together. I guess evidenced by the fact that, uh,
0: you know, organisations such as the
5: Royal Flying Doctor Service use a fleet of these, yeah? Precisely. This is the ultimate uh, medivac aircraft, at least until the PC-24 turns up. It's the (laughs) ultimate ultimate medivac aircraft for that reason.
0: Well, now I have to ask you, are there any plans to upgrade to the pc 24
5: I'm the first corporate customer of one for Australia. Well, there you go. So yes, I've ordered one. That was a loaded question. I yeah, guess. yeah, yeah. I've ordered a PC24. I signed the contract into e-base in eBase in Geneva last year, um, and mine is likely to turn up 2018 sometime. Yeah, I couldn't resist, and it's actually this thing that sold it to me. They're built so well yeah, that, yeah. that I've ordered an aircraft that, that that you know is just just being completed at the moment in terms of a design. Such a nice aircraft.
0: Do the people at Pilatus, when you come and place this order, were they more used to getting, um, I guess, commercial orders from people ordering fleets of them, or is it a bit of a rarity people coming in, maybe even particularly from this part of the world,
5: to buy one privately? I guess it's not, it's not incredibly usual, but it's absolutely, it's absolutely, it's not an unknown thing to do. Yeah, there's, there's some other people that have been fortunate in business that have bought their own PC12s that have very much wanted them. There are certainly ones that have, that have been bought for commercial charter work, uh, and this one, this one gets hired out for, for demo flights, and I'm not using it. It does some commercial work as well as it should, you know, because it's it's more aircraft than one person needs in terms of its capacity to fly lots. Um, There's obviously the medivac medivac fleet. I think there's something like 65, 70... PC-12s in Australia, about half broadly are Medivac mm-hmm. PC, RFDS the other half are corporate of one sort or another and workhorses and a lot of them are, are commercial workhorses moving stuff around um, there's a number of them like this in executive trim for moving people around.
0: Now tell us about uh, learning to fly this, um, I'm interested, mm-hmm. I talked to you before we started interviewing about the, the torque effect, it's a huge engine on the front and uh, obviously a huge prop, how mm-hmm. did you find that I know coming from the Cirrus that's a pretty powerful bird itself but I guess this would have really uh, that would have been something to really get accustomed to
5: Well again interestingly, you're right, the Cirrus is a great transition aircraft to this one for that reason, for two reasons really. It's high performance, similar similar speed envelope in terms of working around in the circuit, and that big torque effect when you gun the engine. Um, both absolutely the same here. It's not unmanageable, you just need to expect it. So yeah, if you you, you hit if you if you ch- transition from low speed to high speed or, or vice versa with a throttle, you're going to see a big torque shift and you just have to adjust to it with the rudders. But this you know, big rudders, big rudder pedals. Um, when you're flying in cruise, it's not an issue. The your is extremely good and catches up really fast. Working around with that off, or working in in the circuit, if you've got to do a go around, for instance, you know, you absolutely the whole if you don't react to it, the whole aircraft yours quite noticeably yeah. if you're not if you're not ahead of it, yeah. and you just yaw it back. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is Steve. This is such a for its size, it's remarkable how this thing is a pilot's aircraft. Though it's um, it is very straightforward to fly. It does what you expect. You just have to you just have to be cognizant of its mass that it's that it's the heavier end of a light aircraft spectrum. 47, 40 kilogram maximum takeoff weight so there's a lot of inertia there the thing about inertia is to make it your friend right if you're thinking ahead of that inertia it's very much your friend you can land this thing and so well that people aren't sure that the wheels are turning because if you just get the inertia and the speed ride it'll it'll reward you for that it's a very, I find it a pretty easy aircraft to fly as an aircraft in terms of flight envelope. You
0: know, it's interesting. I, I teach people to drive trains for a living, and um, you know, we talk a lot about inertia there. So mm. it's
5: interesting the simile you can draw between this and that. Oh, absolutely. Um, the other aircraft I fly to this day, in fact, I, I, I missed out one in the middle. I'd upgraded my motor glider as well. These days I have a gorgeous motor glider. There's one actually two, two steps up from us here. The one at the end of the row here, a Stemmer S10 VT. I have one of those. It's the world's best motor glider. Awesome, awesome motor glider it's the only motor glider that's high performance as a glider and high performance with the engine on and you can run it around a standard airfield perfectly well it's fully maneuverable on the ground 23 meter wingspan 50 to 1 glide ratio with the engine off wow 120 knot cruise for 600 nautical miles with the engine on it's awesome. That's some serious figures. Yeah, it's a great, great beast. That's the other thing I still fly. I fly gliders a lot as well. And do you do that for... I, I'm curious
0: about the the, the the peace aspect, I guess. It's mm. a very a mm. very peaceful experience doing gliding. And yes. particularly, it's all well and good to come and sit in a high-tech aircraft like this PC-12 we're sitting in. But I
5: guess getting back to the basics of it, there must be a real peace in doing that. There is an enormous peace in doing that. It is, as I said earlier, I think it's a very meditative thing to do, especially with the engine off. Uh, and when you're landing a glider with the engine off, in a very positive positive... positive sense your life depends on getting it right you know if the the engine if you you don't have an engine or it's or it's off and you're not intending to turn it on you know you need to get it right the first time that's okay and what's okay about it is you are absolutely focused on that you know there is no email there is no sms there is no busy day at work there is just you and an aircraft and being in the air working with it and it leads to great familiarity with dealing with that. I, when I was coming back from from the um, from that trip to Lake Eyre that I mentioned, we, we dropped into Lee Creek for a while, and there, there was an enormous thermal that came through. When I was at about 50 feet on final, this enormous dust devil came past me, and I'm used to these things in gliders. And it picked this thing up and shifted it and so I just picked the thing up and shifted it back <laughs> you know, I'm, used to, I'm used to it and this is such a beautifully manoeuvrable aircraft and use the inertia to advantage again and just, just reposition it and just landed it I mean you have two choices at that point you can go around or you can get it right and I had plenty of time to get it right as a glider pilot I just lined it up and said no I'm happy
0: Let's land it. There it is. There it is. And isn't it interesting, you talk about people like, I guess, uh, Sully Sullenberger would be mm. probably the best, uh, you know, exponer of that. So many people who have had, you know, big airline experiences like that, perhaps potentially negative experiences, mm. have pulled it out and turned it into a positive experience, and usually you'll hear a backstory about
5: them being a glider pilot at some point. It seems really common, doesn't it? Mm. And, and I, I think it's a fabulous thing to have in the curriculum. You know, one of the things I've got involved in lately is is, um, is, is doing some work supporting the, um, the air cadets in South Australia who've, who've oh. just got a set of motor gliders and I helped them out with, um, with with the process I made a donation to them to let them buy a tug to go with their gliders so they had another way of launching these things because I really, really what matters to me is actually finding paths for young kids to go fly gliders that's a fabulous one because again because I think it's such a good entry point into flying in general
0: Oh absolutely and it isn't it just so important these days when there's so many other options that kids could go for mm. You know, it's, it's really hard to get people They look at the cost factor and yeah. perhaps some kids don't want to try hard enough, but really it's about building that dream, isn't it? We talk about that a lot in this show, about building a dream with kids, and it's it's just so, so important.
5: Yeah, and it is hard because the act of the, the work you have to do to fly an aircraft solo, there's a fair bit of work there. It takes a fair few hours, especially in gliding, it turns out. It's cheaper, but it takes longer in terms of calendar days because you you go up, typically gliding clubs are open on the weekends, you might you know only get a little while as your turn during the day. Mm. So you have to somehow keep kids held onto that dream to get to the point of going solo. And it takes a lot more effort, a lot more application than it does to, let's say, to strap on a parachute and jump out of a perfectly good plane. And so as you say, there's so many other occupations that can potentially take them up that have less of a learning curve. But man, this has got such a reward at the other end of that curve. And you're right, the thing to communicate is the reward is astonishingly good.
0: And I remember one of my very early flying instructors uh, telling me, you know, um, the cool thing about flying amongst all the other things is it's lovely to have a skill that not everybody else has got.
5: Yeah, and then then I find, that's why all the aircraft I've ever been involved with, including the gliders, I've gone for two-seat ones, is I love then taking people up and sharing that experience with them. That's why two-seat glider is so nice versus a one-seat glider. Your your proper, hard-ass, serious, competitive glider pilot buys a single-seat aircraft, because it's much more manoeuvrable, they're very nimble. You win a competition with it, but I want to take people up with me, Steve. I want to actually show them why I love it, oh, and yeah. that's how you do it.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. And yeah. and obviously, you've you've had success in business, and that's allowed you to be, I guess, an ambassador for aviation. Oh, it's such a positive thing that you're doing that
5: for our community. Yeah. Well, look, Steve, I see it that way, and I enjoy that. And I do. I love taking people for a fly in this thing because it's just it's just another step up in terms of aviation. It's, as I said earlier, this is such a pilot aircraft, and everyone loves this thing.
0: Obviously, um, obviously, now this is probably a lot. A question for you: You've got a website about you where oh. people can follow your journey if they want to follow your journey um, through buying this aircraft,
5: learning to fly it. Yeah, yeah, it's on my, it's on my website because when I flew the, this aircraft back from Stans in Switzerland to to Adelaide, um, yeah, I decided to write a blog about it as I was going, not afterwards. So I got photographs and kind of these very raw impressions from the day. Each day, I sat down yep. late at night and wrote them up. So that's at simonhackett.com. That's the that's the website you can find that all. It's about if you, you've got to kind of scroll back about two years or, or click on <laughs> click on the sort of the aviation. Link yeah.
0: to find it. I remember reading it actually yeah. at the time, it was fascinating. Yeah, and, I... I, was,
5: and I was doing that. To try to encourage people, you know, to show them what the experience was like, also to show my family and my friends what I was doing, because that sort of trip is not a very friendly one for people that aren't pilots. You know, it involved 45 hours in the air and nine hops. If you were sitting in the back, you'd run out of crosswords pretty quick. Uh, for me as a pilot, I loved it. Yeah, you know, yeah. the learning experience was fantastic. I, or at that point, it meant that I had, with my initial training, I already had 50 hours on type by the time I got the aircraft home. It was beautiful. But I could write about everything else. And such an experience every day a New Country.
0: Now, we talk a lot about young people. Do you get a lot of young people coming up and asking questions? Do they do that via your website?
5: Yeah, I do get people asking questions about this, and I like to, you know, I like to, like to spread the joy, Steve. As you said, it's, it's, a, yeah. it's a thing I really love doing.
0: Simon, it's an absolute privilege to be sitting here on this aircraft. I'm, you know, it's been worth the wait two years to, to have this <laughs> conversation. I really enjoyed it, mate, and thanks very much.
5: My pleasure. My pleasure, Steve. Great to talk to you.
0: Well, for years, folks, we've been talking about Oz Runways and what a great EFP it is for iPad. But so many people have asked us when are they going to make an Android version. Well, Baz from Oz Runways is with us, and he's going to tell us all about some good news for all of you Android users. How are you, Baz? I'm good, thanks, Steve. How are you? I'm very good. Now, uh, runway, tell us about that.
6: Yeah, it's uh, simply called Runway by Oz Runways, and it's our product for. Android tablets, Android phones, Android phablets. There's a uh, strange shaped device that are too big for a phone, but too small for a tablet. And uh, it runs on all of those.
0: So we've talked for many years, Baz, about uh, waiting for the market to be right. And obviously the, uh, the Android uh, tablets and devices have, have really taken off. And so now is the time. And I know you've put a lot of work into it. You must be happy to have it finally in the marketplace.
6: Yeah, we're really pleased with the result. And, and as you said, this year is just the right year for Android. It took a While for tablets, not phones so much, phones for Android have been very popular for a long time, but for tablets to become really good devices, and they have this year, there's some great Android devices out. Android OS itself has been updated over the years and is now much more friendly for us developers to support all these different types of devices, which used to be a problem in the past. And so we've been able to, to do it this year and in a way that we're very happy with the way that it works and the way it performs.
0: Now Baz has got a different name from the iOS product. Is it exactly the same as Oz Runways on the iPad or are there differences?
6: There's definitely differences because Oz Runways, as you know, has been in development for over five years and it's a very mature product. This is a 1.0, but we've developed runway with the experience of those runways which means that we've taken the best features made them even more intuitive and we're going to build on that so if you get runways now from the google play store what you'll get is all the maps all the ursa aip depths the aopa airfield directory and the pilot's touring guide it's all there you can plan a flight you can get your weather and notam briefing and you can use it as an aviation gps to navigate so it's a really complete product and and we're just going to be building on that uh well over the coming years really but uh, you'll see a lot of stuff being added even this year
0: now bez what if i'm someone who's uh, been using the ipad version for a long time and decides it's time to transition across uh, is there a separate subscription or does one subscription cover everything
6: it's one subscription covers everything. So the same subscription is available on both platforms, both iOS and Android. And you can still use one phone and one tablet per subscription. So if you have an Android phone and you want to keep using your iPad, that's great. If you've got your iPhone and have been eyeing that new Android tablet, uh, you can still keep using Oz Runways on your iPhone and using Runways on your new Android tablet.
0: I can hear all the Grand Macarons of the world rejoicing as we speak, mate.
6: <laughs> yeah, well... It's, it's had a really good reception, and we've got many downloads just in the first few days. We've got lots of great feedback on the store. We've got a good idea of what we're going to be adding next because people have been telling us, okay, these are the features they want to see soon.
0: So, Bez, um, you know, you're very famous for the 30 day free trial. I assume that's still the case for the Android version?
6: Uh, very much so. Just uh, install it from the Google Play Store or from our website, osrunways.com and say start free trial and that's 30 days no limits on uh, what you can use all the data is there so you can give it a really good trial run before deciding
0: once again folks that's runway by oz runways a fantastic and longtime sponsor of playing crazy down under we really appreciate your support bez and uh, we we know it'll go really well for you once again ozrunways.com or find it in the google play store
1: hey this is grant I'm doing a bit of plane spotting oh what a shocking coincidence I'm doing some plane spotting too I don't see you anywhere down here hey take a
0: look listen to that mate that's that brand new Boeing 737 the retro roo
1: oh the retro roo yeah I'm looking at it right now too
0: I don't see you anywhere around here where are
1: you I'm at home you're spotting from home yeah I'm reading the spotter's mag spotter's mag
0: you reading a magazine I thought you were only into electronic stuff
1: I am into electronic stuff. That's how I'm reading the magazine. It's an e-mag, mate. E-magazine. You go to www.spottersmag.com, and then you go down and find Spotters Mag Australia New Zealand, and click on that, and then bang, you're in there, and you're reading it, and it's fantastic. It's uh, online. You can read it on your tablet or on your uh, PC. It's great. If only I'd known that grant, I wouldn't have come all the way out here to the airport. Yeah, well, mate, you could also take a copy with you on your tablet out to the airport, then you could have the sights, the sounds, and all the extra information from the magazine. That's
0: fantastic. Enthusiasts for enthusiasts. What more could you want?
1: So better get that tablet out and get onto www.spottersmag.com right now.
4: Winning. See you later.
7: So the new GE Aviation GE9X engines they're building for the new
2: 777X have a 10%... Carl, Carl, what on earth are you on about? It's like a different language.
7: Here at the Plane Talking UK studios, we like to do things a little differently... If you've got a keen interest in aviation, join us each week where we'll give you an in-depth rundown of all the weekly news from around the world with a focus on what matters to us here in the UK.
2: With regular interviews from people living and working in the industry, we'll take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest air shows, airports and airlines from across the globe. To find our podcast, take yourself to www.planetalkinguk.com, look for us on iTunes, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter.
7: The Plane Talking UK podcast, the show where we talk plain English made by a passenger for anyone.
5: Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network.
8: The VoicesInYourHead.com
2: We're now standing at the back of a very beautiful silver Cirrus SF50, the Cirrus Jet, and I'm here with Graeme Horn, the Director of Cirrus Aircraft Australasia. Graeme, welcome to the show. Thank you. Tell us
7: about the uh, Cirrus Jet. Well, the Cirrus Jet has been on the cards for about the last five years and we're now coming to the end of the project. We'll start to deliver the aircraft at, at the end of this year to customers. And uh, the aircraft is quite unique, um, as in it's, it's a the next step from maybe our SR22 turbo aircraft. Very similar to our flight characteristics. The turbo stalls at 60, 60 knots, the, the vision jet stalls at 65, the turbo comes in at 82, the vision jet's coming in about 86. So, pretty much anywhere you can land a, an SR22, you can land a vision jet. However, the vision jet is going up to flight level 280, uh, above all the bad weather. It's automatically pressurised and uh, we'll be doing about uh, 300 knots. So uh, we can all be jet pilots now. What's the market been like in Australia for this aircraft? Well, a bit of a mixture really there are there are some private individuals that have bought the aircraft for their own use um, there are some companies where they'll be used for commercial use maybe AOCs I can see these vision jets flying up and down the East Coast uh, as as charter flights um, and uh, so so you know, there are various ranges companies are using them for, for people moving so it, it, it looks like it's a it's a good all-rounder the big difference that's attracting people is is that it's an economical jet um, obviously having a single engine uh, the jet that has jet reliability but that next step is that it has the jet caps uh, all aircraft parachute system so if the worst came to the worst then there's an option to pull the lever uh, a rocket will and an airbag will take a shoot out the out the nose cone and lower the aircraft safely to the ground no other aircraft production aircraft jet or or a propeller plane other than the Cirrus has that feature the parachute's an esteemed feature of serious
2: aircraft. Um, in what position would the parachute be and how would that lower the aircraft to uh, safely to
7: the ground? Well, there's various situations that you'd use the parachute. Um, we fly over tiger country here in Australia. Uh, you, you look out the window and look for a landing spot and all you can see is mountains and woods. Well, uh, coming down uh, with the aircraft horizontal um, and coming down uh, vertically, with air, say with the aircraft horizontal, horizontal uh, is, is a lot safer than going into the side of a mountain or into woods doing sort of 70, 80, 90, 100 miles an hour. Um, mid-air collisions, uh, heaven forbid that happens then again there's, a, there's not you've got an option where other aircraft haven't engine failures at night over water maybe in cloud all situations where a, a caps parachute system is essential unfortunately we, we are the only aircraft manufacturer who has this feature every aircraft should have a caps parachute system it's not patented it's not copyrighted every aircraft can have it but unfortunately to date, we're the only people that do and run through other
2: specifications of the aircraft such as its power plants sure. and the uh, avionics up front they look very
7: impressive Absolutely they are, um, Well, the air, first of all the, the, the aircraft is actually a, a 5 plus 2 so you can get 5 adults in there plus 2 children. Um, the Avionics is a Garmin suite, um, it's Garmin 3000 which has the touchscreen, but it's 3000 with upgrades so it's not a standard 3000 system, Cirrus have got together with Garmin, uh, they've requested some improvements which have been uh, honoured by Garmin so we're going we're to see a pretty impressive system there. Uh, the plant is actually a Williams FJ33 engine. Williams is actually, for customer services, is uh, has been the top jet engine manufacturer for the last five years, above people like Rolls-Royce and GE. They are the, the, the top uh, uh, customer service engine manufacturer in the world. The FJ-33 uh, is generating about 1,800 pounds of thrust, and what I mean is this aircraft will be climbing out about two and a half to 3,000 feet per minute, automatic pressurization so the pilot doesn't have to worry about that. that. A flight level 280, so 28,000 feet, the pressure in the cabin will be the same as uh, being at 8,000 feet in a traditional aircraft, about 6 psi uh, pressure in the cabin. For pilots purchasing this aircraft
2: or wanting to fly this aircraft, uh, what other endorsements would they require
7: to step up from, let's say, an average PPL or a twin-engine sure. rating? Well, a PPL can fly a jet, there's, but there's one thing they need to do, which is a thing called a tight rating. And a tight rating uh, would be, would take between 7 to 10 10 days uh, for to, to get this uh, type rating its approval um, type ratings will be done before the aircraft is delivered to them so when their new aircraft comes along they can jump in and fly now a lot of the insurance companies um, do request that, that the pilot has some mentor time uh, normally up to 20 up 25 or even 50 hours depending on, on your experience of your aircraft and of course Cirrus are looking after that when when they do their type ratings. so they will be providing pilots for mentors for uh, new jet pilots and how many hours on a ballpark would you look at both for the type rating and this mental time well let's uh, say the it's, it's about seven to ten days actual flight time you'll probably do about 20 to 25 hours doing the type rating and then if if you're an existing jet pilot then then you don't need the, the mental time and then uh, again depending on your skill levels it could be another 25 so 35 35 to 55 hours um sorry 35 to uh, 75 hours you, you could be flying a jet and to make all our prop pilots weep a bit, give us some statistic speeds. Uh, 300 knots um, is, is the max cruise. It has about uh, uh, 1,100 nautical mile range. So from here in uh, uh, sunny Avalon it would get us up to uh, rocky quite easily with reserves. Um, it'll be, uh us say, climbing at, at two and a half to 3,500 feet per minute. Um, it's uh, burning about uh, fifty gallons of fuel per hour. Uh, cost-wise, it, it, all in, it's it's about the uh, seven hundred dollars per hour uh, running costs, and for uh, and included in that is actually the engine replacement uh, and the servicing, which is about one hundred and thirty dollars of that seven hundred dollars, and that's provided by Williams uh, directly. How has Cirrus found the Australian aviation market in terms of aircraft sales and? And uh, ownership of Cirrus aircraft. Well, I think I think our, our commitment to Australia has shown that that, that we're, we're, we're there is a buoyant uh, and, and a, a good feeling towards Cirrus. I, I mean the, the the safety record of the Cirrus. Um, you know, Australians are flying large distances. They're flying over Tiger Country, and I think and I think that that the the safety factors, the new safety features of the Cirrus, including CAPS and, and ESP, which which stops you going into uh, into uh, uh, unusual attitudes, into disorientation. If you stall a Cirrus, it'll put the nose down and stop you from stalling. Um, and also, if you look at the statistics, um, the fatalities in aircraft is reported per, per 100,000 hours. Uh, in 2013, the Cirrus was below the average, which was 1.2. Cirrus was at 1.02. 2014, the Cirrus is at 0. 0.049. We are most certainly the, the safest general aviation aircraft uh, in the industry, and that's because of two things. Firstly, the safety features on the aircraft secondly but also because of the we we have the best training portal for our customers so it's it's teaching people not to get into these difficult situations but also if they did how to best get out of it and and i think the australian um uh, pilots have have acknowledged that because we now have over 140 aircraft in australia a lot of people are traveling with their families. They like the space in the aircraft. You know, you can plug your, th- your kids' iPods into, into the system. They can have three iPods going and listen to their music. Um, of course, we've got TCAS-type traffic systems in there. Air conditioning, so it's a nice cool cabin. And, and the new Australis and GTS aircraft um, has UV 100% UV windows. So, uh, again, looking after uh, the Australian uh, pilots uh, from, from, from a skin cancer point of view, but also keeping that cabin about 30% cooler. So it really is a pleasant environment to actually be uh, travelling around in. And you just uh, mentioned the Australis aircraft that's sitting uh, adjacent
2: to the Cirrus jet, and it's fair to say we can discuss that a bit as it's a... Uh specific aircraft to Australia, just give us a rundown off uh, that model of uh, Sirius
7: 22. Yeah, well, what I've done is is over the past three years, I've been looking at, the, at what features uh, we, we have in Australia and what, what features we, we like and want to buy. Now, the problem we have is is that, like most car manufacturers, they, they, they put bundles together. So, for instance, you might want the, the, the traffic system. But to, but to get the traffic system, you've then got to buy the e system or the thermal infrared night vision camera, all part of the package. But you may not want that. So what I've done is I've looked at the, the features that, that Australians buy air conditioning comfortable seats the more comfortable seats uh, the big screens um, and and what I've done is I've put this into an aircraft that, that is exclusive to Australia um, it also has um, the UV windows, uh, and accompanying that, it has uh, a four-man survival packs, it has PLB, it has 2 years subscriptions to uh, uh, AFPLAN Pro, tie-downs, again, things that, that us as Australian pilots, we need to have uh, in, in our aircraft. Uh, it is unique to Australia. Uh, if, if, if somebody approaches us from another country and wants an Australis, they can't have it. It also uh, features um, some nice um, Australian uh, uh, exclusive colour schemes, which include, incorporates the, the Southern Cross and, of course, uh, we've got the, the, the Australian flag on the front. Uh, two models of available. Australis uh, is, is, is uh, our standard version, and we also have the Australis Premium. Price-wise, they both include delivery and VH registration here in Australia. And uh, that is $599 delivered and $633,900 delivered for the Premium version. You're almost uh, trying to sell me one, and I'm almost tempted to even get one. Oh, I- I'll get my order pad. Um, And what have the uh, orders been like for that aircraft so far in uh, in the country? Well, we launched the Australis just on Tuesday, so only a few days ago, uh, we have uh, four four aircraft uh, already sold. Uh, The aircraft behind us is actually for uh, it actually belongs to a customer, and that will be positioned in Tamworth. We have uh, two silver and blue Australis. Uh, that have been an ordered and a blue and white, which will be going to uh, uh, Queensland. So, four, and that's not bad, because we've only launched it two, three days ago. Very good, very good, very beautiful, very sleek,
2: and just all round good aircraft for the country. Thank you very much for speaking to us and uh, enjoy the rest of Avalon. Thanks very much. I'm here with Basil
0: Lenzo from Evictor Aircraft Australia. Basil, uh, thanks for giving us some time. My pleasure. Now, the, uh, the Sportstar and the Harmony out there on display here at Avalon, uh, beautiful looking aircraft, particularly the
9: Harmony. I've not seen that one before. Yeah, look, that's a uh, developmental appro- uh, a development from the uh, Sportstar. Um, Sportstar's been around for quite a long time. Um, its predecessor really was a Eurostar in Europe and then uh, Vector developed the Sportstar and approximately about three years ago um, they released the, the Harmony into the marketplace. Um, effectively, same sort of aerodynamics. Um, they uh, improved the undercarriage, um, changed the uh, uh, wingtips and changed the horizontal stabiliser um uh, leading edge just to provide a little bit better um, cruising speed So performance
0: is really what it's all about here the Sportstar has been quite popular in, in you know certain sectors in this part of the world so
9: they're obviously hoping that the Harmony will pick up where that left off? Yeah exactly so I think uh, the nice thing about the Harmony is it probably gives you effectively somewhere uh, between 5 and 10 knots, you know, we've, we're probably seeing around a, sort of a 7 or 8 knot difference, um, we flew both of these aircraft from Perth uh, right through here to Avalon over two days and about 15 and a half hours of flying um, and uh, it was definite that the harmony was uh, a slightly better performer than uh, than what the Sportstar was. What's the sort of fuel burning you're looking at? Know, obviously in a long cross-country trek like that you've got plenty of time to do your figures. How did it uh, stack up? Yeah, so we were um, we flew the Sportstar at about 7,500 feet and the Harmony was at around 9,500 feet and part of that was to really try to ascertain what the difference was. We were the Sportstar at seven and a half was probably burning about 23,500 litres an hour and the Harmony at the nine and a half thousand feet was probably shaving about a litre an hour, maybe a little bit more um, off that uh, fuel burn. So, say about you know, 22 and a half, 22 to two, 22, and a half, nine and a half thousand, and and you know, 23 and a half, seven and a half thousand. And obviously, like most aircraft in this sector, you're running the Rotex power plant? Yep, both of them uh, identical power plants, the 100-horsepower 912 ULS, um, and, uh, yeah, no- nothing uh, nothing unusual about that. Pretty standard in this industry. Now, you're coming across from Perth, how's the, uh,
0: the sector over there, the RAO sector, how's that performing over there in Perth? Are you seeing reasonable
9: growth? Uh, look, I think, uh, like most of aviation, um uh, it's it's probably been a little bit of a difficult time, but um, uh, I think it's fairly consistent. There's a flying school based out of Janikov which we operate called uh, Cloud Dancer Pilot Training. They're running a couple of sports Stars, um, and they're probably averaging a good, you know, eighty hours a month, hundred hours a month. Uh, Busselton uh, Aero Club have just uh, uh, bought a uh, sports Star out of um, Aldinga. I think it's 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 consistent and stable, but. Um, uh, certainly not uh, not falling away like probably everyone was expecting, but not running away like everyone was expecting. And interesting, and uh, of course you've come
0: across here in Melbourne, and I believe you're uh, looking to set up
9: an operation over on this side of the country. Yep. Um, so we uh, effectively took over the uh, Evector agency towards the end of last year. We're going to be set. Well, in fact, we are set up at Morabbin. We've got a hangar at Morabbin. Um, it's just in the final stages of being brought back from what was a a former. Uh, facility for uh, Larry Perkins Racing Team oh, into yeah. a hangar again yeah. Um, so uh, yeah we will have a new Harmony demonstrator hopefully uh, at Moorabbin um, by the end of April beginning of May I'll have to slide down there one day I don't live far from Moorabbin I might have to slide down and uh, you know hitch up for a test flight no problem
0: or my pleasure if you want to come down for a fly I'm happy to take you a fly anytime no problem now if somebody was looking at buying the Harmony
9: beautiful aircraft you've got here on display here at Avalon what would they be looking at sort of a ballpark figure Okay, so we're sort of starting at, in a six-pack configuration, uh, what we would call a typical training school aircraft. With the Euro-Australian dollar at the moment, a bit of state of flux where it is, you'd probably be looking somewhere around the 135,000 mark. Uh, The Harmony that we've got on display here is right at the top end of the range. It's got the uh, dual 11-inch SkyView screens. It's got the ballistic parachute. It's got the variable pitch propeller. Um, That airplane in today's market is probably circa around 182 to 185,000. And if somebody ordered one today, what's the sort of build time? What, What how long would it take to get one delivered? Uh, look, build time's fairly good at the moment. Um, we're probably expecting from placement of order somewhere between 10 and 12 weeks, uh, plus shipping, which is typically around four to six weeks. No worries, Basil. And if people want to find your flight school online, uh, where would they do that? Uh, well, if they go to www.evector.com.au, they can get all the information on the Evector and, uh, and various flight schools around the country where they can go and fly a Sportstar or a Harmony. Fantastic, mate. I wish you all your success, and uh, thanks for chatting with us. Thanks for your
0: time, Steve. Well, we're here with Matt Hall. Matt, um, the last time I spoke to you, we were in Las Vegas, and I said I'd
8: talk to you after a podium finish. Well, it was one round delayed, but congratulations. Yeah, thanks, mate. It, um, yeah, that uh, Vegas sun um, was a bit of a disappointing event. But uh, anyway, it's a uh, sport. You get on with it, and you uh, you just keep looking forwards, not backwards. And, um, yeah, here we are, uh, I can cheekily say, uh, ranked number two in the world. Oh, wow, <laughs> nicely done, mate. Should we start the season now, I think, <laughs> yeah. is what we should do. No, no, because I've still got to make it to first. So uh, <laughs> I'm taking a positive attitude that uh, I can go, well, I'm second, but go, damn it, I'm second. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, congratulations, and it uh, must be a great feeling to get up there on the podium. I remember when you got your last podium finish, and you were up there with Nigel Ammer. Although it seemed quite an emotional thing, particularly you and Nigel Ammer obviously quite close.
8: Yeah, Nigel and I are close, and um, yeah, especially, to, it, especially the Malaysian one where it was his first win, uh, that was actually a very emotional thing um, you know, for me to be involved uh, in Nigel's emotions, uh, so so um, you know it's uh, while It's uh, just a sport. We do put a lot of our uh, soul and energy and passion into it, and uh, and getting results is really what you want to do. Not not just for your own uh, you know self worth and ego. It's uh, you do find that you're representing you're representing your team, your family, and uh, your country. And uh, it is it is an emotional thing. So um, yeah, I uh, I do enjoy being up on the podium, and um, I just want to be able to do it more with an Australian flag draped over the uh, over the place.
0: Yeah. Well, we can always uh, look forward to the rest of this season, seeing up there at position one. That'd be even better, wouldn't it? I suppose. Yeah.
8: Yeah. Well. know, um, yeah, Obviously, uh, we want to win races, and I've said a few times uh, in in summary in the last few months that uh, you know uh, you wouldn't be doing this if you, if you weren't trying to be the world champion. But to be the world champion, you've actually got to be able to win races as well. Um, so. So, uh, yeah, that is that is um, what we're trying to do is win races. And uh, from that last one, just to be only eight hundredths of a second off uh, off first place was was uh, a little bit disappointing initially, but uh, but very uh, very satisfying, and rewarding uh, in other ways.
0: Now, I like to throw a quote at you from the coverage I saw. Rather be lucky than good, mate, is what I heard you say through the uh, the intercom um, after a pylon hit, and you still won the uh, still won that heat.
8: <laughs> yeah, I've got to keep. Uh, remembering that there's a camera going going out to the globe with uh, you know, a couple of hundred million people watching what what I say. So yeah, I um, I was uh, in the the first head to head there. I was against uh, Francois and flew flew second against him. Yeah, I think he posted something like a 103, and uh, and the worst time I'd run all week was like a, a 59. It's like oh, well, I I'll just I'll just make sure I go through comfortably and smoothly and uh, and and go through the round. And as it turned out, I went through a little bit too comfortable and smooth. That I was just, uh, you know, pottering around my second lap, um, feeling, yeah, you know, feeling good, and but still trying to, yeah, you know, not trying to break any records. And then collected a pylon. It's like, oh, um, so all of a sudden the pressure came back on. That I had to, uh, had to really work the second part of the second lap. And um, so I came out thinking, well, I'll, I'll get away with it as long as I don't get a second penalty that I don't know about. And they, uh, they delayed telling me my time. Enough to make me consider. Uh, they're looking at a second penalty that I don't know about. Uh, so when he when he told me my time and I was going through, it was uh, yep. It was um, that was a bit bit lucky rather than uh, talented. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it was a decent hit. I mean, if you're going to do something, you should do something properly. I say so. It was a quite decent hit, but. Uh... Going against Lavado, I guess it's his first season, so you can capitalise on that too. I guess he's just feeling his way around.
8: Well, that that is the you know, that is the uh, the advantage of uh, doing well in qualifying is uh, you know, you should get to have a bit of stress free flying in. Um In uh, the first the first round there, so uh, being being teamed against Francois, like he's a world aerobatic champion, he's no slouch, but uh, you know he's he's still learning the ropes on uh, in the masterclass there, and uh, and uh, so yeah, it was um it was it was a disappointing race because I'd had a pretty clean. Uh, pretty clean uh, week, actually. So it was a disappointing thing to do out there on uh, global TV. But uh, you know what? That's um, that's what we do when we're racing. You can't be you can't be scared to make a uh, an error. Otherwise, uh, you know, it's, uh, there's no point being out there in the first place. Well,
0: it keeps it real. You coin a phrase, doesn't it? it? Keeps it real.
3: So
8: it does. Yeah. And um, you know, we're still. You know, I'm still getting used to the to the uh, how the winglets are, um, are performing and how they feel as well. So, so we had you know, we had a little bit going on in that race. So uh, in the end, to, to hit a few pylons in in training and also. Uh, uh, um, you know, uh, even in the race itself, while it wasn't planned, um, it's not devastating to me because, you know, the plane is effectively a brand-new handling aircraft.
0: Now, we can talk about those winglets. You know, we can talk about wingtip vortices and drag coefficient and blah, blah, blah. They look really cool, actually.
8: <laughs> yeah, I think they look cool. Yeah. Um, when, when we were originally designing them um, last year, we had a few design options. Um, you yeah, know, we it was all about performance. Um, and in the end, we came up with two, two designs that had... Pretty close performance in theory. Um, so then, it, then it did come down to looks. It's like that one looks better. So, uh, <laughs> so they're they're um, when everyone first heard we're doing winglets and saw a few snapshots, everyone went, "Oh, you just copied Nigel's." But no, uh, no. if you have a look at them, they're uh, they're a completely different theory um, and design.
0: Had, I think you've had nigel him somehow.
8: <laughs> well, we Nigel was like, "Oh, you idiot, you put him at the front of the wing. What were you thinking?" And then uh, after we did our first training, he goes, "Hmm, maybe oh. you actually got it right."
1: <laughs> there you go. That's uh, so you you said it feels different with the winglets on um, how does it feel for you
8: um, well when we we first uh, flew with them and i you know we did a, a little bit of flutter testing and uh, you know safety testing and then when i f- then started to push the plane and and just decide how it handled um, it was it was one of those things that i didn't i didn't feel a huge difference it definitely had a slightly different rumble to it before it breaks which is an important thing for us to know you've got to be able to Confidently and consistently pull right up to the stall, but not, not exceed it. Uh, and it was a slightly different feel, which meant that I had to re reteach myself those cues Uh, it rolled uh with a little bit of stall buffet in the right aileron which is something we still have to uh correct um and it had a little bit more inertia in the roll uh, meaning it took a little bit longer to stop because it's got more weight out in the wingtips so there's a few things like that it actually has more yaw stability which is a good thing for us because my plane's typically been yaw unstable uh so we're regathering some of that but um uh, in the end it was wasn't until i went to the track for the first time that uh, I went uh, right I, I can fly the plane now let's go on the track and then all of a sudden all of my attention went into the track and my body reverted to uh, muscle memory of previous years and that's where all of a sudden I was struggling to fly the plane in the track especially through the chicane and, uh, and I had to re- go home and have a bit of a think about it before I came out again okay.
1: now uh, you've got a three month gap before the next race uh, that's quite a bit of time to
8: uh, assess telemetry and uh, figure out what you're doing. Uh, are you still using the Larry Logger from Larry Perkins? Um, we're using components of the, the Dam Logger from uh, from Larry, uh, but we're now using a um, a, a basically a complete uh, system that's uh, designed by uh, Peter Wiesenbeek, who's my um, tactician, and he uh, he builds the Wingmate, which is um, which uh, is now for sale in Australia um, for basically taking telemetry of, of, um, of flights and logging logging everything, including video. So we've got uh, a little bit of the, uh, the dam sensors, it really just uh, G-meter G sensors and things like that, but uh, the Wingmate itself has uh, it's got its own INS system, uh, GPS uh, input, and um, it's, uh, we're currently tracking 32 channels of data um, at a fairly fairly high Hertz, and uh, and it's all time synced with uh, with two onboard videos. So at any particular stage, we can see exactly where I was, exactly what parameters the aircraft and the engine were under, uh, and uh, what we could be doing differently uh, in that point in space.
1: Okay, so quite a bit of uh, telemetry to go through. Uh, do you see much? Do you think you're going to need to do much in the way of changing or tweaking to it, or you think it's more, as you said, your muscle memory and getting used to flying them?
8: Yeah, what we realised uh, after last year you know, because we're still you know, in the big picture we, we have to keep reminding ourselves we're still new to the sport um, so last year we we had a lot of ideas and we kept changing things during the year and, um, and what we failed to realise and it was actually Peter, our um, our, our tactician who used to work with um, with Alonzo in Formula 1 he was the one that said you know what you're changing too much it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if we can make the plot plane one knot faster or two knots faster uh, if you're making an error it doesn't matter so the key is to have a stable consistent aircraft that you can fly its heart out and uh, we realised that with uh, only the last two races to run at which point I actually started flying really well again and was um, you know, running in the top four pretty comfortably um, unfortunately the results didn't reflect, um, reflect that so we've decided this year we we put the winglets on we've got a range of things that we want to do to the aircraft but we'll test them during the year but we're not going to fly with anything unless it's a monumental jump which I think I can handle so the key now is for us to get used to the way it is uh, fly the aircraft with the winglets on in this configuration and just get bloody good at doing that so i don't hit a pilot on race day and i don't get a rolling panel in i'm fly clean all the time and i actually start to use the plane to 100 percent of its um, capability rather than at that race i was probably still only at 98 percent okay uh, so we've spoken a fair bit about the plane we're talking about the races and all that but
1: there's uh something else you've been doing uh you and some friends board an airport
8: yeah, as you do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know the, the the things you've got to do to get uh, get the airport you want. You go out and
8: buy the damn thing. Um, what's going on there? Yeah, it was um, it's it was just one of those those things that uh, I couldn't say no. So uh, I, I grew up um, up until I was about ten at uh, Swansea, and used to fly at uh, you know the Belmont Airport, Pelican Airport, with my dad in a It's where I did my first um, aerobatic ride with my dad when I was you know probably seven years old. And, um, you know, then living in Newcastle, uh, you know, joined the Air Force to see the world and lived in Newcastle for my entire career. Um, I, uh, you know, every time I drove past that airfield, especially after it stopped operations in 2005, I was just watching it slowly go under and become derelict. And um, my wife and I often talked about, you know, someone should buy it and turn it back into an airfield. Isn't it isn't a great location. And then uh, much like my Mustang story, my wife drove past and saw a sign for, that said for sale. So she ran me up and said, hey, the Airfoot's for sale. I think we should buy it. <laughs> so, uh,
3: <laughs> I love your wife. <laughs> to quote the famous phrase, how
1: many sisters has she got? Yeah, yeah, yeah
8: I think it's one left. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so uh, we, we, uh, we, we went and had a look at it and thought, you know, it's going to be a stretch on the budget and on our time and, but uh, it's just one of those things that uh, it's you've got to put your money where your mouth is, and uh, especially in aviation. If you, if people aren't putting their money where their mouth is, there is no aviation left. So uh, you've got to ha- it takes investors and it takes passionate people, and I think that we're both of them. So we ra- we rallied up a bit of a consortium of people and um, made an offer that uh, Mervac couldn't refuse and. Um, bought a nightmare for the first month and then uh, it's actually starting to turn into a bit of a dream so it's, uh, it's it's um Yeah, I'm hoping this becomes another part of our of our story that uh, people enjoy uh, watching as it happens and also listening to in hindsight how many uh, how many people have you got there now how many tenants Ooh, um, it's not a huge at the moment because we've spent all of our time at this stage just um, uh, getting the airfield uh, back up and running and making what's there serviceable. So we've got uh, all hangars in our full. Um, there's one, two, three, there's four businesses running full-time on site now, and we've got another big hangar that's got uh, a number of aircraft in it, They're just private uh, aircraft rental. We've got a couple of things happening in the terminal, but uh, our objective is to build new hangars and get, uh, get more people in there and... and uh, you know, put fuel in and uh, cafe, and all of a sudden it's uh, the place to go. Cool.
0: Well, you have got Jodie Davis running the office there now. I see, so you can put her to work and make her work really hard.
8: She's already working very hard. The young one's taskmaster, so uh, yeah, she's still smiling. So that's a good thing. I haven't tasked her too hard oh, yet, and um, yeah, but yeah, she's in, she's enjoying uh, being there. I think it's a, it's a it's a beautiful location. It's uh, yeah for those that haven't uh, seen it, just uh, you know, jump on our website and have a look at some of the pictures on it. And um, but uh, it's it's uh, it's a fantastic location and. I am, I'm actually really looking forward to our Cubs in pieces at the moment, but I'm looking forward to having our Cub back up and running so I can just float around up and down the beach uh, in our Super Cub.
0: You mentioned money and finances and all that sort of stuff, Matt. We should mention your sponsors that keep you running and principally QBE, and you're still doing a lot of public speaking with them, a lot of uh, work around airmanship?
8: Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, So we're here at the Avalon Airshow on behalf of QBE, and um, yeah, the, the QBE uh, airmanship program is still alive and well and growing, and uh, yeah, it's. I was actually down here uh, earlier in the week, so I've been going up and down to Melbourne a few times this week, uh, giving a presentation to the to the Aero Club about uh, you know the winners of the airmanship um, airmanship competition last year. So we've got a lot of things uh, that we're, we're uh, that are on the um, the board for uh, what we're going to do this year, uh, including some uh, some some videos. we're doing in partnership with QBE for uh, for concentrating not just on airmanship but uh, basically on aviation and uh, and all types of safety and, and in fact just how good is aviation? Uh, we're doing uh, some more competitions for uh, people to be able to, to win prizes that's either, you know, anything from merchandise to flights with us. And we're really looking also at... Um trying to make it more interactive, that we'll um, we'll end up being able to uh, have forums where people sit down, and it's almost like a uh, you know cleansing of the soul of like, hey, I'm going to admit what I've done wrong. How about how about you come up here and admit what you've done wrong, yep. and let's figure out how uh, we can stop that happening again. That's so how we um, all learn, isn't
0: it? It's for you mm-hmm.
8: know. Well, that's right. It's the, the, if you if you're not prepared to talk about making a mistake, it, it, basically you can try and pretend it didn't happen. But the th- chances are it will happen again now. So uh, and probably worse because you got away with it and, and, and convinced yourself as such. So uh, being honest and open and talking about it not only helps yourself, but it also helps other people not to make the same mistake. Yeah, fantastic.
0: Well, always great to catch up with you, Matt. Thanks for spending some time with us again.
8: Fantastic to be here. And, uh, yeah, if anyone's, uh, I don't know when this goes out, but uh, if it's, it's early, get down to the air show. If it's late, hey, come and see us at another show somewhere.
0: <laughs> come and see you up at your airport. <laughs> yeah.
8: That's right. Cheers.
0: Okay, so André Zuman from Pilatus Aircraft, thanks for having us aboard this mock-up of the uh, beautiful PC-24.
10: Yeah, it's good to have you guys. It's, we're very very happy and glad to be here at Avalon Air Show in 2015 and show this beautiful piece of engineering are uh, very well uh, represented here at Avalon this time around,
0: and obviously you've got a new product to uh, you know to present to to this part of the world. So we'd be interested to know um, you know what this aircraft would mean to to this part of the world, you know, to
10: operators that are looking at it from here. Yeah, we we decided to come to Avalon this year because uh, we rolled it out uh, last year the PC24 the first time, and then now it's about time to show it also to this part of the world. The PC24 is a complete new new concept of an aircraft. It's a clean Sheet, clean sheet design, actually, and uh, what it makes it so so special, it has the it has the DNA of the PC12, so it's a very spacious cabin. It has uh, short uh, takeoff and landing capabilities, and we we can go to uh, raw field operations, so gravel and dirt and unimproved runways. So this makes it really unique. And uh, on top of all of that, we have also the big cargo door that uh, brings new capabilities to to this kind of aircraft.
0: So obviously, in this part of the world, that's very important. We obviously have some unique, uh, you know, short runways and all that sort of thing in this part of the world, and some very rough runways if you get up into central Australia. So, is that sort of a market that you envisage? Perhaps fly-in, fly-out, the mining communities, that that sort
10: of uh, that sort of sector? Definitely, the the PC twenty-four will will be uh, one of the of the missions of the PC twenty-four will be in this this field. Um, we have we sold eighty-four aircraft last year on on e-base in in uh, in Geneva and. Uh, one of the of the launch customers is the Royal Flying Doctor Service of Australia and that's what we are very proud of.
0: The Royal Flying Doctor Service obviously a very unique uh, medical uh, service around Um, what was it that tipped them over the line for the PC-24, what made this different from say some of the other contenders in this sector?
10: I think first of all uh, Royal Flying Doctors, uh, we have a very long and and perfect relationship with them, they they have a big fleet of uh, PC-12s already in service and uh, they know Pilatus very well we know RFDS very well and so they know the capabilities of pilatus products and uh, we listened carefully to them when we uh, when we went into that uh, development phase and uh, there's a at at the end of the day there's a lot of trust towards pilatus and that's that's why uh, they believe in us and they uh, ordered uh, some pc24s
0: what do you see as being the, the major market for this aircraft? And we've talked about the sort of application that uh, Aeromedical might do, but would you be pitching this, I guess, primarily at the, the bizjet market? Would you look at it for a commuter aircraft?
10: Well, as the BC-24 is a very new very new concept, we had uh, no no kind of jet category that would fit in. So we had our, our to produce our own category. So the super versatile jet is the PC-24. And uh, we have a, a whole bunch of different roles this aircraft can fulfill, like the Medivac or like the corporate chat like uh uh, like uh, any kind of commuter stuff, so a multi-mission, uh, government, semi-governmental. So we we don't see any limits for that for that uh, aircraft to, that it can fulfil.
0: Looking at some of the statistics, I found really interesting. It's uh, short takeoff and landing. Uh, I think just over 800 meters for a takeoff roll and about 750 odd meters for a for a landing rollout. That's that's pretty impressive performance.
10: Yeah, that's typical Pilatus. Pilatus is known for this aircraft for this short takeoff and landing performances. Uh, the PC six, the Port is well known for that as well, and as well the, the mm. PC-12. And uh, that's that's when we're talking about DNA of the Pilatus aircraft.
0: Obviously, uh, carbon fibre is uh, composite materials are all the rage these days, and I, I take it that's playing a
10: role in, in this aircraft as well? The aircraft, the wing and fuselage, is built on uh, on aluminium, so really solid aluminium structure. And we have a composite on the aircraft, of course, but more on the fairing, side, like the bullet fairing, the, the belly fairing, and the flap fairing stuff but uh, the aircraft fuselage is a traditional uh, aluminium.
0: We hear a lot of manufacturers talk about the, the weight saving benefits of having carbon fibre and I guess that's obviously attractive for you as well.
10: Yeah of course I mean uh, weight is all weight always matters as we don't can change physics so you no. have to take care of the weight and uh, of course yeah, weight is important to us.
0: Physics can be really uh, pain like that can't it?
10: <laughs> oh yes they can. <laughs> One of
0: the things I noticed looking at the cockpit it's almost quite minimalist actually the way it's set up for simple easy design with ease of use in mind.
10: Yeah that's right the, the 24 will be certified for Single pilot operation as well, so that that's why we had to really take care on the, on the workload of uh, of the pilots, and uh, it's uh, it's based on Honeywell Apex uh, avionic suite and uh, and with uh, perfectly designed to minimize the load on the work on the cockpit.
0: Can you tell us about the uh, what sort of tur- uh, turbofans are you running on this? What sort of engines?
10: Um, the 24 we'll have, the Williams FJ44-4 uh, engines uh, mounted on the on the aircraft. Yeah, uh, we, we did a serious evaluation for the for the engines and uh, at the end uh, the whole package for it that was uh, presented to Pilatus and the PC24 was uh, from Williams engine and it's, a, it's quite a good engine it's well known it's it's proven concept and uh, there will there won't be any experiment on that
0: now obviously you've been uh, you're heading up this program and uh, you're right at the top of it I guess designing it from clean sheet as you said at the start of the interview must be quite a challenge so can you talk a bit about the development process how long did it take to develop this from start to where you're at, where you're at now Thank
10: <laughs> you. Um, we started. It always it depends where you where you really say now this is the start of the program. It's about five to six years now. We still we work on the on the program. We started it by listening to our customer carefully. We have one thousand three hundred PC 12s out in the field, so we really listen to them. We wanted to know what do you want, what do you need for to fulfill your 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 best your needs that we can uh, give you a tool that, that fits that best. And uh, and so it went uh, further up step by. Step with all the all the work you have to do in a, in a development program.
0: I suppose five to six years for a development program for for any aircraft is actually quite impressive. That's quite a short amount of time if you think about, you know, some of the other challenges that perhaps some other uh, you know manufacturers have, have had developing new aircraft. Five to six years is pretty good, I would have thought.
10: Yeah, we are still now. It's, it's uh, we started five to six years ago, but now we're, we're looking for maiden flight in, in May this year, and uh, we are heading for a type certification in. Uh, 2017.
0: Now I was talking with Simon Hacker yesterday in the in the PC12, and uh, he tells me that he's going to be the launch customer, or one of several launch customers, and uh, for this part of the world, very exciting for him, and uh, I guess very exciting for us. Hopefully, we can be there to cover it.
10: Yeah, we are, we are happy to have uh, s- s- uh, so many launch customers with us on board, and uh, Simon is one of it, and we're very proud of. A great ambassador for Pilatus, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He's a, he's a great guy, and he knows Pilatus very well. And, uh, yeah, that's that's what we are known about. We are uh, He's part of the Pilatus family.
0: Well, uh, Andre Zimmerman, it's uh, been a pleasure to be on board, and uh, Joe, I hope I can get a ride in a real one one day. It's uh, fantastic, a beautiful aircraft. Thanks for talking to us.
10: Yeah, it was great to have you guys. Thank you very much.
0: and i got to tell you, guys, uh, that Pilatus PC24 will be fantastic. You know, uh, Simon Hackett there was offering me a ride in the PC12. Oh, you know, maybe I'll hold that over till he launches the PC24.
1: No, no, no. Do both, man. Do both.
0: Absolutely. Well, you know, Grant, that reminds me of that time I rode in and Hercules. Oh,
1: there I go again. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what? I would totally trade a Hercules ride for a ride in, uh, ooh, I don't know, the FE-8 or one of the other aircraft that uh, Vintage Aviator have because, mate, a, a meteor ride in a uh, World War One aircraft, I'm gold with that.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, guys, um, you know, Avalon, is, as always, is predominantly a trade show with an air show just thrown in for good measure. And we're always looking for something different from year on year. And I guess the uh, the big difference this year was uh, we had an interesting uh, visitor from Airbus. We actually had the A400M and what a spectacular Aircraft. Micah, what
1: did you think of the uh, fan blades on that one?
2: There were a lot of fan blades. Uh, I was more intrigued by the avionics in the flight deck.
1: Yep. Yeah, oh mate, they were fantastic. Uh, sitting up there with the colonel in charge of the mission, and we were just about to start recording, he and I, for doing an interview, and lo and behold, the uh, Singaporean F-16s raced through. So, oh dear, what a shame for the duration of their uh, pair's of aerobatics know jet aerobatics and so on um we just had to sit there and go through all the systems on the flight deck well you know grant the
0: perils of recording interviews at an air show it's just a just a just a wonderful thing really
1: oh it's great especially as i got a chance to take a photo through the uh hud the heads-up display unit and uh let's face it it's got a slightly pinkish uh, tone to it so if you want to see what the world looks like through my glasses have a look at that photo of looking through the world and the a400m's hud and uh yeah just take out those nice green lines and numbers and all that, and yeah, you know, I'll get to those eventually, but uh, otherwise, the colours are pretty
0: spot on. I'll tell you what, Grant, you are wearing a, you are sporting a fancy new pair of, uh, of glasses. Maybe you should have had a HUD uh, you know, images built into that.
1: Oh, don't tease, mate. I'd love that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you certainly would. Well, I'll tell you what, in addition to uh, the audio interviews that we do, of course, as always, we have our Director of Photography here with us uh, at Avalon again, Stephen Pam. He's out there shooting tons of video, and uh, for those of you who follow us on the uh, Facebook page, and I'll tell you what, the numbers there have built over the last week or so, um, you can see hundreds of uh, wonderful images that uh, Stephen is putting up. He's uh, really, really uh, going hard at it. So, uh, yeah, I guess we'll be putting him to work and uh, getting a highlights video at some some point over the next week. So that'll be something to look forward to as well.
1: Yeah, mate, definitely. A lot of great stuff. Amazing sights. He's been getting lots of stills. He's been taking lots of video. Uh, He was with me on board the uh, Gulfstream G650 and he went over to get some shots of the G280 while I kept doing my interviews on board. I got to tell you, mate, it was pretty hard to get off that aircraft. But uh, Micah, uh, have you been cleared out of the area let's cut live to our man who's at the airport how was the wall of fire
2: the wall of fire was spectacular. Uh, as uh, people may have seen from photographs and video at uh, Oshkosh in the United States, it was much the same. In fact, I believe the pyrotechnics company were from the States as well. So we definitely got that quality there. No, it was great.
0: Now, Micah, uh, you're going to be on site for those of you listening to this podcast uh, in the next couple of days. We're recording this on the Friday night. So uh, for those of you going down to uh, Avalon uh, for the Saturday and Sunday, if you'd like to pick Micah out and you see him with his selfie stick, we'd love to see you get yourself uh, taking a selfie stick photo with Micah and we'll put that up on your Facebook page and you know what uh, folks I think um, we might just uh, for maybe the top two or three photos we might send out a couple of prizes as well so there's some incentive for you we've got some PCDU caps to give away and uh, we've also got a stack of uh, Matt Hall Racing key tags here that they've generously given to us to give away to some lucky listeners so uh, look out for Micah with his uh, distinctive hat and his selfie stick and uh, let's see if we can get some really entertaining photos just like the one he took with Matt Hall the other day
2: I, l- I like the challenge that you've just posed and uh, I'm all for it so come find me uh, if you see me running then chances are I won't stop
1: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah it's not that he's a uh, bomb disposal expert so uh, you don't have to worry about passing him you've just got to catch up
0: that's exactly right well I'll tell you what uh, let's catch up as a minute here and get this episode out that's uh, Avalon 2015 Alpha we'll put out Avalon 2015 Bravo in three or four days from now we certainly hope you enjoyed this and we certainly hope you're enjoying the wonderful spectacular that is the Australian International Air Show
5: You've been listening to Plain Crazy Down Under, hosted by Steve Vischer, Grant McCarran and Micah Lee. Full show notes for this and all our episodes are at plaincrazydownunder.com. You can find us on Twitter as PCDU and on Facebook, Google+, YouTube and Vimeo. Feedback? Suggestions? Advertising inquiries? Email them through to contact at planecrazydownunder.com or mail to Post Office Box 70, Cranbourne, Victoria 3977, Australia. Plain Crazy Down Under is a Southern Skies online media production.
0: I must say, it's very challenging trying to cover the Red Bull Air Race when you can see Nellis over in the background.
3: Well, they run the Air Bull Red Race there, do they? Yeah, from the racetrack right next door, as it turns oh. out. So uh, very distracting from a journalistic yeah. standpoint. I never knew that. That's great. I always thought they did that over water. And There's no. not a lot of water in uh, yeah. Nevada. <laughs> in Nevada, no. no I don't see any. They... <laughs> <Okay. laughs> no, they do it only in the, only in the forecourts of the, uh,
1: the hotels. Oh, yeah, no, they, yeah. uh, they, uh, they, uh, they, they run. Yeah. yeah. All right, so I'll stand in. Yeah, we can all just stand in close. We're running, numbers going up. Yeah, uh, numbers are increasing, oh, It sounds off? good. Okay. Phone hmm? off? Yeah. Oh, hell. No, Thank nice. you. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. I'm
8: to with a carton of beer. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, I, can't I can't look. that. I'm in aviation, what do I <laughs> Yeah, I don't know concentrating not just on airmanship but uh, basically on aviation and, uh, and all types of safety and, and in fact just how good is aviation uh, we're doing uh, some more competitions for uh, people to be able to, to win prizes that's either you know anything from merchandise to flights with us um, and uh, there's a there's a lot of beeping there going on but uh, it's uh, waving to um, there he goes you got yeah. the hint, perfect um, is just became famous yeah, yeah. so um, yeah so we've got a lot of things going on there with QB as well for uh